Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go on a Monday afternoon, start of a new week. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on Super Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Glad to have you along. Show streaming online at supertalk.fm. You can watch on supertalktv.com. Also streaming live today on Facebook, at least for a little while. We're glad to be with you. Let you know right out of the gate, and you probably know this by now, that you can join the conversation live on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Normally, Mondays are almost always about recapping. And we're going to do plenty of that this afternoon because there's a lot to get to. Ole Miss had an open date. Great college football weekend. Mississippi State gets off the schneid by getting a win against Vanderbilt. We certainly will dive into that game in all of its beauty and glory, Mr. Haydad. Like I got a laugh out of you right out of the gate. It's like a work of art. It's like the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, all in the eye of the beholder, right? That, um, that beholder must have been blind. The um, the New Orleans Saints last night. Who that? Wow. Are do you are you guys finally actually okay with a win as opposed to picking apart all that was wrong with the Saints win? Now that they've ripped off five in a row, considering that they went in and laid a whipping. The best part on about that game, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is not just the fact that they beat the Patriot the Patriots Brady and the Bucks that bad. And Breeze was surgical. When he's that accurate, dead arm or not, they're hard to beat with just yeah. how good they are offensively. Uh, the timing and accuracy and decision-making from, from him was great. And Sean Payton, he had one of those days. You guys, everybody listening has had one of those days where like, you wake up and the coffee's better for some reason. And then on the way to work, like you hit every, every light. You get a green light. So your your commute is no problem. And you sit down at work and like... Your proposal got accepted or whatever. You just have the best day and everything goes well. That was like Sean Payton calling plays last night. Everything he called just worked. Everything. No matter what string he pulled, it led to something good. The best part about that game, though, was the domination from the Saints defensive line, specifically Trey Hendrickson, who going into the game, Bucks coach Bruce Arians said he was the easiest guy on the Saints defensive line to block. Trey Hendrickson is now third in the NFL in sacks. The easiest guy to block. That, for some reason, to me, is the best part of the game. When the coach Mm. says that, and then he goes out there and whoops you for four quarters, you earn that one. I want a black and gold (laughs) Super Bowl. Who that? Who that? That's right. 
There you go. Uh, all of that, though, takes a back seat right now because we've got news, and unfortunately it's not the kind of news that we uh, we like to talk about but have had to talk about far too much in the year of our Lord, 20 and 20, and that is COVID news. A little disappointing, to be honest with you. I, I was uh, assured by many that uh, as of last Wednesday, uh, COVID-19 would no longer be a thing. Turns out it is still a thing. Uh, so one more prediction gone awry in uh, in 2020. Uh, obviously, I'm kidding a little bit. Are Let's you- start local, and then we will expand. Locally, there is an outbreak of sorts within the Mississippi State football team. I say outbreak. People maybe use that word a little more than it should. We don't always know what the definition of outbreak is. Sometimes it's positive COVID tests. Sometimes it's contact tracing. In this case, it appears to be a combination of the two things and Mississippi State's home game against Auburn that was supposed to be played this coming Saturday has now been postponed until December 12th because of COVID within the Mississippi State program. Hey, Dad, any details you can add? Yeah, I found out, uh, I guess, Sunday evening. Mississippi State, you know, there was been a lot of talk about Vanderbilt only dressing out 58. State only dressed out 63, but a okay. good number of that was walk-ons. Uh, I know for just off the top of my head, Reed Bowman, Justin Stolberg, a few others. Uh, and basically what's happened at State is the offensive line has just been affected. State only dressed uh, eight offensive linemen on Saturday. You have to dress at least seven. They've lost a couple more, and they're just under that roster requirement now. So it's just a combination of when you look at State's roster of you've got some COVID, you've got injuries, you've got uh, you know obviously attrition. A, attrition, a lot of attrition, and you're just under the, the, the numbers. Bruce Feldman just uh, tweeted out that he had a source that the roster is currently, for scholarship players, is in the mid-40s. I mean, that's just really, that's a real mess uh, right Ooh. now. So, yeah. Of course, none of this would make any difference if it weren't for COVID. You know, the injuries and the departures, if in a regular year, they would just tell State, well, you got to suck it up and get out there and play. But because sure. there are COVID-related uh, absences, uh, State is, is canceled for Saturday. They've shut down activities. And we'll see when they can get back to, to business and hopefully in time for a game next Saturday. And, and that's the interesting piece of this is right now when you look at an outbreak with a team, the question, you get one game postponed, but the question becomes, okay, how long does it take to get back above the threshold you need? And to Haydad's point just a second ago, when you talk about guys that have opted out whether it's because of COVID or opted out and jumped into the transfer portal or you have injuries, remember you've got minimum thresholds in terms of overall roster size. That number is 54, 53, mm-hmm. 53, right? You have to have 53 scholarship players available. 53 scholarship players available, and then there are minimum thresholds for um, different position groups. You have to have one quarterback that is a scholarship player. I guess Mississippi State's got two scholarship quarterbacks, right? Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, last week, they, <laughs> depending last on whether week or not they KJ Costello's healthy enough to play. Well, last week they only had one. You know, it, it was Rogers. Uh, Stolberg was the backup. Justin Stolberg, who's a walk-on. Um, hmm. Costello, because the other thing to remember is, you know, if you're injured, you can't. If you can't be on the sidelines, you can't be on the sidelines at all. So yeah. Costello wasn't even in the stadium last weekend. Um, Goodness. So yeah, they just can't be there. So yeah, state state was down to one, and you know, it's just it's just this is just the way it is right this second. 
Borky, you look like you were going to jump in a second ago when I was saying the 53 number. Yeah, and I, what Leach said earlier, they, they were one number above that. We're, we're getting to a point now where, what well, was the story a couple of weeks ago, that the SEC is uh, considering changing their contact tracing. Well, if they want this season to end without any more disruption, they need to go ahead and execute that change. Yeah. So Mississippi State will not play Auburn. That is the only game so far in the SEC that has been postponed for this week. However, I guess I'm Alabama out LSU. You guys have a have a great week. I'll talk to y'all. Yeah, I'm not sure that's how this works. Hey, see ya. Not uh, not not sure that's exactly how this works. Let me, let me get some um, PTO going. LSU Texas A&M is apparently in peril. Uh, Texas A&M has. I'm, I'm sorry. That's two different teams involved, or two different teams involving different games. LSU Alabama could be in peril as LSU has had an outbreak that reportedly is because of contact tracing related to a Halloween party. Good decision making, guys. Yeah, it was right after hard. they got crushed by Auburn. They were like, "Let's party." <laughs> But let's be honest, so this is an interesting talking point moving forward. I think it was Bud Elliott, as I saw the first person to point this out. You're going to start having teams, because these are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids who have lost a bunch of games, who don't care as much anymore, and they're going to start being lax on their protocols and not following along closely. It was probably very easy for LSU's players to go party on Halloween night after they got smoked by Auburn because they don't care anymore. And you're going to see that with a lot of teams, I think, moving forward. That's something to keep an eye on. I think that's a really interesting point. I agree with that. A team that is bad, what is their incentive to continuously isolate themselves from everybody else when they're in college? And a lot of people would say, well, that's selfish. They should just play because, you know, what What you're going to see are bad teams care less. That's what's going to happen. Which is not necessarily different from a normal year, but coronavirus, COVID-19, is different than a normal year. So Mississippi State will not play on Saturday. LSU's got an outbreak, and their game within uh, with Alabama is somewhat in question. Texas A&M postponed practice today because of, uh, I think, two positive COVID-19s, and so they just shut it down to retest everybody. And Arkansas announced that their head coach, Sam Pittman, has tested positive and they will have an interim head coach this week. Was it Barry Odom? I'm assuming it was Barry I never yes. like yeah, officially it, it saw that. Yes, yes. Yeah. Pretty um, good interim to have. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt about that. Uh, so there is your COVID news uh, on this Monday. It is Sports Talk Mississippi. We're streaming at supertalk.fm. We are glad to have you along. This is Masters Week. Yes, that is a unique time. Sergio Garcia, can you imagine having to withdraw from the Masters because of a positive COVID test? That happened. Sergio Garcia is out, a former champion. Yes, hey, Dad? I have an idea. I'll go cover that. Okay. We'll uh, we'll, we'll just send Richard you over tomorrow. It. Let me get the we'll, we'll just send you there out. tomorrow. Uh, we'll take a timeout. Sports Talk Mississippi. Have you ever been with me when I don't have my phone on vibrate? 
Has that ever happened on the show? It has. That's, Hello, uh, friends. that's my, it's my ringtone. I was on a golf trip with a buddy who did not know that this summer and uh, had left my phone. I guess my phone was in my pocket, but it was connected to Bluetooth, and I was out pumping gas. And it started ringing, which so I didn't hear it. But he was inside the truck, and he started looking around like, "What's going on?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh my bad, man!" Ringtone on my phone. He's like, "That's awesome." Masters Week tradition, unlike any other, feels a little bit different. Television coverage gets started at noon on Thursday on ESPN, and Brian Haydad is convinced that he is now going to be. I will be there event. live. Uh, getting, I'll get over there tomorrow. Do you um? You got your press credentials worked out? We'll figure that out when I get there. Gotcha. I, I, I hear that there is no more welcoming uh, committee than that at Augusta. They'll let anybody in. Well, they won't let anybody in, but I will say that um, the, you know, within the, like, within the membership, they have different committees that are responsible for different things. Yeah. And they do all they can to absolutely take care of the media, perhaps in a way that no other sporting event in the world takes care of the media. And there's a philosophy behind that, which is not terribly complicated, right? If you create a world-class experience for the people who are covering your event, generally speaking, maybe Christine Brennan notwithstanding, (laughs) the media writes glowingly about you. I bet our friend Jim Gallagher Jr. could uh, could help me get this credentials thing sorted out. I doubt it. <laughs> as fine a human being as there is on planet Earth, and he has played the event. Not just played the course, he's played the Masters. He's told he just, us. He just, first he just round knows leader. who I need to call. He just knows who I need yeah. to call. And Maybe. be like, hey, my, my other plans got got scrapped. I'm coming your way. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe that is the case. So we uh, we are glad to be with you. Um, we need to dive in and look at what happened on Saturday in Starkville, which, first and foremost, for the record, if you're not watching Brian Haydad, he is curling his nose and squinching his face up right now. But it stinks. Mississippi State won. Yeah. They won the football game. And it counts the same as if they had won the game seventy-two to nothing and had played exceptionally well. They did not Which win it seventy-two to nothing. They did not play exceptionally well, but they did get a win. Tell me more. What a uh, an interesting game because it started out like it was going to go well for Mississippi State. They got out fourteen nothing on the first two possessions. Rogers was hitting open receivers. Uh, they they looked like they had found a little something in the run game there. Obviously, defensively, they were just shutting Vanderbilt down. Uh, but then Vanderbilt made some adjustments defensively, and State did not adjust to that offensively. And that's how you end up with 204 total yards of offense. Uh, Vanderbilt tailback uh, Keon Henry Brooks ended up with more yards than Mississippi State did. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, you know, when you just keep getting put on the field, eventually you're going to crack a little bit, and that's what Mississippi State did. Gave up a ton of yards, 478, I think was the total. But they forced five turnovers. And that's the difference in the game, especially when you look at Errol Thompson's interception in the end zone. I mean, that's 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 a game-changing play uh, for Mississippi State. So defense bails out the offense. 
Uh, yet again, even though when you look at the stat line, you might think they didn't play that well, the points and the turnovers were, were the big stats for MSU defensively. Bulldogs jumped out to a 7 to nothing lead with a six-yard touchdown pass from Will Rogers to Osiris Mitchell. Dylan Johnson stuck it in the end zone with 233 to lift uh, in the first quarter to give Mississippi State a 14 to nothing lead. Brandon Ruiz kicked a 25-yard field goal. Bulldogs led 17 to nothing at halftime. All Mississippi State in the first half. Second half, different story. Uh, a two-yard touchdown pass from Ken Seals to Chris Pierce made it 17 to seven. That was with 4:27 left in the third quarter. Early fourth quarter, Keon Henry Brooks, who Haydad mentioned just a second ago, 27-yard touchdown run where it looked like he was running and hiding from everyone, and uh, that made it 17 to 14. Jaquavius Marks with a one-yard touchdown run with 2:43 to play made it a 24-14 game. 38 seconds left. Vanderbilt kicked a field goal to make it a one-score game. It was a 41-yarder by Pearson Cook. I heard you talking uh, on the Thunder and Lightning podcast about that was actually quite good clock management yeah, by smart. Derek Mason and Vanderbilt. Yeah, went, decided, you know, 43 seconds left, first down, kick the field goal here and allow yourself a little time to try to score the tying touchdown as opposed to running the clock down and, and then, you know, fig, having to figure out what you're going to do. I thought that was really smart and gave them a, a, a good chance to win. They just couldn't recover uh, the onside kick. And it didn't take that third bounce either. That was the strangest onside kick. It just yeah. it kept rolling. I thought it the died. kick was great, and it yeah. just never jumped. But Never got that bounce up in the air that you want. Yeah, just is what it is. Forgive me if this is painful, but we got to do it. We got to look at some of the team numbers, and we'll look at some of the individual numbers as well. Sure. Vanderbilt had 30 first downs in the game. Yeah. Mississippi State had 14. Vanderbilt had 142 yards net rushing. Yeah. Mississippi State had minus 22. E. Through the air. Vanderbilt threw for 336 yards. Yeah. Mississippi State, 226. Total offense. Vanderbilt ran 82 plays for an average of 5.8 yards per play, 478 yards total offense. Mississippi State ran 57 plays for 204 yards, 3.6 yards per play. Uh, Ken Seals through the air, 31 of 46, one touchdown. He was picked off three times. There were two more fumbles. That was the difference in the game. Yeah. I mean, the big, the biggest play of the game is Marquis Spencer's interception in the fourth quarter. Uh, Vanderbilt's driving. It looked like, you know, they had all the momentum. And Marquis Spencer picks off a pass. Uh, he snuffed out a screen play, basically, and, uh, and got hold of it. It was able to take it deep into Vanderbilt territory. And if that doesn't happen, I'm pretty sure State loses the game. Fun with stats. Both Rodgers and Seals attempted 46 passes. Rodgers completed four more, but for 110 less yards. Will Rodgers, 35 of 46, 226 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. If you're looking for a bright spot, and you may have to look for a bit, no interceptions in the game. And yeah. that is, that's moving in the right direction. I hate to, uh, I have a verb for this, but we won't use it on the air. But I hate to do this, but he did throw about two or three passes that I was pretty surprised weren't picked off, including one that they reviewed and uh, ended up calling incomplete. Mississippi State had some, they had four players in double digit uh, tackles. Martin Emerson had 10 tackles. Aaron Brule had 10 tackles. Or Marcus Murphy. If you're calling the game for television. Is that what Mm -hmm. they said? 
the whole <laughs> night. He's Cajun. It's brulee. Marcus Murphy, 10 tackles. Landon Guidry, 10 tackles. Errol Thompson, 7 tackles and an interception. Yeah. Colin Duncan had an interception, and Marquise Spencer had an interception as well. And two of those interceptions had pretty good returns on them. Yeah, that's a good game from Guidry, too, who came in uh, after Sean Preston got hurt. I'm sorry, after Sean Preston got uh, ejected uh, for uh, for targeting. Mm. Guidry played the rest of the games for him, so a good game for uh, for him with his first real uh, extended action. So that was, in a nutshell, the football game. And then there was this after the game. Um, Mike Leach, quote, well, I mean, every job that I've ever had, all I promised was to give my very best, and they've certainly gotten that. But I get a kick out of fans feel like they're upset about something. They ought to try it from the players' and coaches' standpoint. I talked about it on the radio show. It's like breakfast. The chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. It's obviously talking quote. about, say what? That's a great quote, though. I don't, I don't agree with the rest of what he's about to say, but that quote is hilarious. It, it, I mean, surely you don't need that explained, but if you do, no, it's, no, you know, no. yes, the eggs and the bacon or the sausage. What um, if you're having chicken and waffles? Right. Um, Seriously, Chick-fil-A's made a whole brand off of committed chickens. <laughs> They've but, committed hey. to chickens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he goes on to say, coaches and players, we're like the pigs. But I certainly appreciate our fan support. There were cowbells. Thought we had a great crowd. Thought they did a great job as far as lifting our team at key times, inspiring us on all sides of the ball because there were key contributions on all three sides of the ball, and that was key. But you know, maybe, uh, but you know, those that aren't on board are impatient. And this is the part that this is kind of Mike Leach's they can go kick rocks moment. Maybe they can select another team, or maybe they can go coach their own team. And I think that you can evaluate how their team does and see how it all shakes out. Not a fan of that. Probably not the way to go. Probably. No, definitely. We'll talk about how that particular quote was received by Mississippi State fans when we continue with you. Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. So question for you. Hit us up on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but C Spire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. So here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull, cspire.com. Your reaction, specifically if you're a Mississippi State fan, to what Mike Leach said after the ball game on Saturday. I'll read it to you again. I guess we should do the entire quote because there was context there. In response to a question about how people who think his offense and ideology are not working so far, his answer well, I mean, every job that I've ever had. All I promised was to give my very best, and they've certainly gotten that. But I get a kick out of fans feeling like they're upset about something. They ought to try it from the players' and coaches' standpoint. I talked about it on the radio show. It's like breakfast. The chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. Coaches and players were like the pigs. But I certainly appreciate our fan support. There were cowbells. 
thought we had a great crowd. I thought they did a great job as far as lifting our team at key times, inspiring us on all sides of the ball because there uh, were key contributions on all three sides of the ball, and that was key. But you know those that aren't on board are impatient. Maybe they can select another team, or maybe they can go coach their own team, and I think that you can evaluate how their team does and see how it all shakes out. Couple of reactions on the ceasefire text line. Mike and, uh, and Oxford says he went Bob from Bogachitta on the whole fan base. Greg says, "Hey, I'm an MSU fan. Quote doesn't bother me. Fans need to be patient." And Greg says that's not all of what Leach said post game. I know it's not. He talked about coaching better and doing a better job and lots of other things. But guess what? When you give a quote like that in your post-game press conference, that is what people are going to gravitate to. And it's also relevant to talk about because of what happened at the end of the Joe Moorhead era and what he said about Mississippi State fans going and kicking rocks, pounding sand. Um. Here's one that says, I agree with Coach Leach. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. I've been a state fan since the early 70s. I've been with him through the good times and bad. Give him a chance or leave. Is being upset with a bad product? Because uh, let's put it into context. I, writing the obituary on Mike Leach, like some people in the national sports media have already done, is extremely premature. And frankly, it's kind of stupid because the first year at Washington State was very bad. And look at what happened there. Actually, what, two of his first three years, they went three and nine. And then look at what happened. So I am not saying that he will not work at Mississippi State. I'm not saying that because I don't believe that. But right now the product is bad. It's a bad football team. It's a bad offense. The air raid got doubled up and then 74 yards by the worst roster in the SEC. You can be a fan, a committed fan, that will still love your team and be upset about the product. Just because you're upset about the product doesn't mean that you should go somewhere else and doesn't mean that you're a commit you're not a committed fan. There were fans in the stands on Saturday. They were there. There are people that are still giving money to Mississippi State and they are 12,000 and change. And they are not getting paid 5 million dollars to coach a football team. So you're, if you're invested in something emotionally, financially, whatever it may be, you're allowed to criticize it. It's okay that the fans are upset. In fact, it means there are expectations at Mississippi State. Maybe you didn't get anybody complaining to you in Pullman, Washington, because nobody up there really gives a crap, but around here it matters. And the product isn't good. They're allowed to be upset. They should be upset. It means they care about you and your school and your players, and they want you to do well. And guess what? If they were to play Auburn this weekend, they were going to show up, They were going to watch, and they're still going to love your team just because they don't like it right now. If your child makes a mistake at school and gets called to the principal's office, you're going to be very mad at your child, right? They shouldn't be acting like that. But you still love them. When did this cross over into, if you're being critical, then just get out. Go find a new team. Especially a team like Mississippi State, who you know doesn't have a whole ton of sidewalk alums just just sitting around. Mississippi State needs every fan it can possibly get. 
there just be a copy and paste statement for things like that. When you get asked about, you know, fans during bad times, hey, I appreciate our fans. I know things aren't going the way we want them to right now. We're working as hard as we can to fix them, and we're going to get there. End of statement for every coach in America. You just say that, and we'll all move on. And, and you're right, Richard, in that, you know, after Moorhead, you know, kicking rocks and pounding sand, you didn't really want to hear this again from, from another coach. I mean, you get paid $5 million a year. All right, there's going to be some criticism. You just might as well just you know put a helmet on and and, and put your big boy britches on and, and go out there and, and deal with it, especially when you know your reputation is that of an offensive guru, and you're averaging 200 yards a game since 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 week one. You can't get, you know you're averaging six seven points a game since week one. It's totally acceptable for for people to be upset, and and trust me, it's it's sort of like the whole you know if. The old thing with like boys and girls, if you did, if you didn't like you, they just ignore you. Well, if, if state fans didn't care, they just they just ignore it. They wouldn't come to the games. They wouldn't get on message boards. They wouldn't talk about it on social media. They wouldn't listen to podcasts and shows like this. They do care, and that's why they're upset. And it's not going to make any bit of a difference because over there, it sounds like he's going to get fired. But Will Muschamp, after they got smoked by Texas A and M, um, they were booed on on their home field during the game, like. Almost the entire game. There were fire Muschamp chants during the game, and so Will Muschamp was asked about it after the game, and he said, "I hope they're mad. They should be mad. I hope they are. That's how you respond to it. Doesn't make a difference at the end of the day. No, but that's how you respond." Birds flying. There were some boo birds flying Saturday in Starkville too. Some more of your responses on the ceasefire text line. If we weren't going to give him time to implement his offense, then we shouldn't have hired him. Definitely agree. That is from Richard. Uh, Jason goes pseudo-political. He says, I thought that there was a chicken in the egg. Fully formed or not, all chicken lives matter. Oh, Jason. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> he also says, I still don't believe that it's going to work in the SEC. Not if he can't or won't make adjustments in a game or from week to week. You cannot be predictable. Um, One more conference games than Mullen did in his first year. Uh, Michael in Poplarville says Dan Mullen spoiled Mississippi State fans. I wouldn't call I it think, spoiled. I don't think that's right either. We'll double check that. I'm pretty sure that's wrong. Jeff in Grenada says doesn't bother me at all. He has a point, and fans need to be patient. The man has only been here a few months. It's not Mike Leach's product. I do have a question about the roster. <laughs> and we've heard a lot about, you know, got to get his guys in. Why is the right. roster in the shape that it's in? I mean, First if, off, if I, it is if it is that hey, Dad, devoid of talent, or devoid of the kind of talent necessary to make the offense work. I mean, th- th- this is in a window in which, in state, Ole Miss was on probation, and was punished by the NCAA, and Mississippi State has been in the process of going to a decade straight worth of bowl games. How is it that this is the situation? Um, Well, first off, I was right. In 2009, Mullins' first year, State won three conference games. Uh, I went into a lot of detail about this on the podcast, about how you look at Mullins, you know, you go. You really have to go back to like 2014, that class uh, after the 2013 season, where 
they they had a lot of misses. And so and then 15, you had a good in-state recruiting class, but a lot of those guys ended up being busts, for lack of a better word. And then in 16, you had like almost a huge calamity. You went into signing day with 13 guys. You ended up signing, I think, 17. Two of them were in the summer. A lot of those guys didn't contribute. And basically, if Jeff Simmons doesn't go to you on signing day, that's a nightmare class. So then you get to the 17 class, and you sign nine junior college guys. And on top of that, you know Willie Gay is gone. Kylan Hill is gone. That 17 class should be your redshirt juniors and your true seniors. Should be the, the the bulk of your depth chart. Most of it is gone. Like Austin Williams and Aaron Odom are the only guys really making big contributions in that class. So it, it's just you know a combination of recruiting, you know Joe Moorhead and getting you know getting away from the discipline kind of style that Mullen sort of had, and and then uh, this complete culture shock of Mike Leach wanting to change everything you've ever done off. It's it's just a bad situation right now. And I don't think it had to happen. You know, I don't. I didn't. I don't see the need for this total restructuring of the football program when you had gone to ten straight bowl games. Just feels like they could have found an easier way to do this. Not that I don't think Mike Leach will ultimately be successful, but this year is going to be really painful. It looks like three times in seven minutes we have gotten the question from the same person on the ceasefire text line: "Y'all going to get the COVID vaccine?" <laughs> I don't think there is a COVID vaccine yet. We did get big news on that today, though. There's unbelievably promising news from the medical giant Pfizer and the people who brought us the little blue pill. Their CEO says this is the most important medical breakthrough of the last century. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. I don't know that this makes a difference, really, just given the volatility of the season that we're in. I mean, hey, Dad, coming off a win, would you rather get right back to it and try and build on whatever momentum of getting a win there was in getting ready to play Auburn on Saturday, which was going to be a home game, or does the fact that yeah, you get an extra week now to get ready for Georgia. And then Auburn gets rolled to the back end. And so Mississippi State, as it's scheduled now, will have two games after the Egg Bowl. Here's the remaining schedule for uh, for Mississippi State. They were supposed to play Auburn this week. That has now been moved to December the 12th. Up next, a road trip to Georgia the Saturday before Thanksgiving. Then a road trip to Oxford, where they will play Ole Miss the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and then Missouri at, and Auburn at home to close it out on December fifth and December twelfth. Does that matter? Uh, I don't know. I, I my I had thought I had been thinking you know ever since State had sort of gone downhill that having to play Missouri after the Egg Bowl might have been, a you know, because you put all your emotion into that game, and right now I think Ole Miss is going to win it. So I mean, are you really going to be fired up to play that game? I mean, what kind of crowd is going to show up after that? I don't know. Um, and especially now, you know, those, those two games, I just, I, don't, I just don't know. So I don't think it makes a huge difference because I don't think State was going to – I didn't think State was going to beat Auburn either way. But uh, it might make some difference. You know, it's kind of interesting when you look at teams coming off of open dates this past weekend. 
Mark Stoops announced that he's got multiple coaches on his staff who have tested positive for COVID. They are scheduled to play Vanderbilt this week. Vanderbilt, who has been hanging on a thread in terms of available players, they were short on the roster this past weekend in Starkville. They were short on their roster prior to the game against Ole Miss, and that was the first game they had played in three weeks. Um, Missouri, I've not heard of any issues for them coming off of the open date with regard to COVID. Not yet, but there's still time to make this the worst Monday ever. Um, Alabama appears to be okay. We haven't heard anything out of Tuscaloosa. Auburn is obviously not going to play, and so they will be consecutive weeks since that drumming of LSU. Consecutive weeks of open dates before playing Tennessee. There is one... If you, I'm curious here. Again, volatility is the word that I'll use. Given the volatility in the schedule, if LSU got back testing results today and it was deemed that by the time you went to bed tonight, LSU was not going to be able to play on Saturday, would you reschedule the Iron Bowl and let Auburn and Alabama play each other this Saturday? Uh no, why? I would not. I just, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the people saying it takes weeks to prepare, or whatever. But that's just a little too much, right? That's, that's, that game is too important to just throw it in and say, "Hey, you got three days to prepare." For me, anyway, I, I would. Say Both no. teams would be coming off an open date. Both teams, presumptively, would be healthy enough to play the game. It's not like you've got a relocate 100,000 fans one way or the other. The game this year is um, in Tuscaloosa. I mean, you're, you're going to get the 20,000 fans there regardless. And both teams would have the exact same amount of time to prepare for the game. If you had Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it just seems to me like that would make a heck of a lot of sense. I mean, I get what you're saying. I, you're just asking me, though. Personally, I would not do it. No. And you've already got that CBS window because nice. Alabama at LSU was supposed to be on CBS. You just send the CBS crew to Tuscaloosa instead of Baton Rouge. What would you do, Borky? Um, it depends on what your stated goal is. See, I think what I would do, honestly, is move the SEC championship back a week. Okay, that's, pro- that's probably going to end up happening. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree with that. I think that's what I, I would do. Because even though it makes a ton of sense to play the Iron Bowl this weekend, I mean, that's what the NFL has done. And as important as the Iron Bowl is, you're, you're not bigger than the NFL. The NFL is moving their schedule and putting this game that was here over here. You can do the same thing if you really wanted to, to get the season done on time. I just don't think they're going to do it. I think Nick Saban would throw a fit. And we know what happens yeah. when Nick Saban yes, gets yes, mad. Yes. Real quick, too. Don't you think that if they end up canceling this game, they're going to cancel LSU Florida and make LSU play Alabama on the 12th, right? They're going to make a they're, the divisional game has to take precedence, correct? Mm, yeah, probably so. Yeah. I would think that that would be right. Somebody said, yeah, you go from preparing for Bozo the Clown at QB to. Mac 10. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be Mach 10. 
No, Mac Jones, Mac 10. No, I understand what it is, but maybe I should have read it as Mach 10. Hour in the books, winners and losers coming up next on this Monday. Pick me up from the bottom up to the top. Ceasefire text line open to you 601 879 4395. Be honest, you know your business deserves better, so get better with a Ceasefire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. See how Ceasefire can power your success today at Ceasefire. Dot com slash business. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad with you on this Monday afternoon. We're glad to have you along for the ride. And uh, we got something I want to tell you about that is uh, coming your way tomorrow that is pretty important to all of us here at Super Talk Mississippi, and I think will be pretty important to uh, many of you as well. Tomorrow... We are going to focus on our friend J.T. Williamson from the J.T. Show. As most of you know, earlier this year, J.T. was diagnosed with cancer. And he knew that it was going to be an uphill battle and was ready for the fight and has continued to fight, but little did he or any of us know just how big of a battle he was going to face. There were other complications back early, early in the year, in addition to his issue with cancer. He has since undergone several treatments and is now heading to Texas. He's going to leave on Sunday to go to get treatment at MD Anderson Cancer Center. And so tomorrow, throughout the day, we are going to celebrate JT with stories about him from some of his closest friends and colleagues We will have some fun at JT's expense, no doubt. But we're also going to wrap our arms figuratively and literally around him. And we're going to uh, attempt to wrap our wallets a little bit as well around JT. Uh, Going through this process is extremely expensive. And it's not so much the cancer treatments per se, but everything that goes along with it having to be gone from home, having to find a place to stay and eat, and everything that goes along with being away from home for an extended period of time. So tomorrow, we are going to try and raise some money to help JT with the expenses related to his treatment. You can join us tomorrow for a day for JT. It's going to get started with Paul Gallo's show at 6 o'clock in the morning, obviously during the JT show, hosted by Dave Hughes. They will do that from 10 to 1. Rebecca will focus on that from 2 until 3, and then from 3 until 6 tomorrow, we will uh, focus on JT as well here on Sports Talk Mississippi. And we know that this has been a a difficult year for lots of people financially, and so we're certainly not asking you to do anything that is uncomfortable for you or anything you are unable to do. JT would be the very first person to say to you, the thing that I need and want more than anything is your prayers. And we're going to encourage you to keep JT on your prayer list, but if you are able and if you would like to support or help support financially uh, these next few weeks and maybe months that uh, JT and his family are going to be going through, 
then we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. And we look forward to celebrating JT. It's not going to be sad. It's not going to be doom and gloom. We're not going to focus on uh, how ugly cancer is. We're going to focus on this incredible fight that JT and his family have been going through and are going to continue to go through, and we want you to be a part of it as well. So that's coming your way tomorrow. It'll be a little bit different, Sports Talk Mississippi. We are going to focus on sports, uh, but we're going to have some conversations with uh, some of JT's close friends I think JT himself is going to join us uh, tomorrow, and uh, yeah. we're really looking forward to that. And uh, hope that uh, that you can be a part of it. That's coming your way tomorrow, and uh, will be happening all day long here on Super Talk Mississippi. All right, with uh, no further delay, it's Monday. It's just after four o'clock. That means it's time for winners and losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. Got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Winner never win. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, and it is time for winners and losers. And I'm sorry, I'm trying to quickly search. Guys, did we just get news that Alabama LSU has been postponed, or no, was that just a text? It's just a text, and I'm looking, and I don't see that anywhere. And I feel like it would be everywhere. Yeah, I we, we got a text message just a second ago that said LSU Alabama has been postponed, but I do not see the news of that anywhere yeah. at this point. So we will certainly... Uh, keep our eyes happen, on that, but not, yeah, not it, it, it 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 could very well be about to happen. But uh, unless you have uh, information that we don't have, uh, and I've actually reached out prior to that message about some questions that I have uh, about different scenarios and have not gotten a response either. All right, winners and losers from the weekend. Let's start with winners. Uh, I'm going to go first. I, I, I tweeted over the weekend that my wife is a rock star. And that I outkicked my coverage by roughly three miles, and that is all. And I will uh, will stand by that. She surprised me with a uh, fun birthday weekend, got some friends involved. She was able to uh, absolutely uh, pull off a surprise. I had no idea that any of it was coming, and uh, she made this old guy feel really special uh, for a weekend. She makes me feel special all the time, whether it's deserved or not, but uh, especially for the weekend, that was uh, was super cool to get to uh, to be with friends and family and uh, not know that it was uh, was coming. So I'm putting my wife, Jane, on the winner's list. Sorry for the uh, selfish indulgence, but that's where I wanted to start. So who else? Who else are the winners from this weekend? I'll do a quick one and, and then a, a sports one. Uh, the the uh, Our friends in Smithville, Mississippi, Okay. I spent Friday night there calling a high school football game, but that's not why they're winners, although the facility in the field was immaculate. Um, every person that I got to like handshake meet not only was familiar with the show, but listen. Uh, I shook hands. I'm sorry. I'm messing um, with you. Go I, ahead. Hey, they did make me put a mask on when I walked in, though. They were very Good. stringent on that uh, up in Smithville. But every person... That I like shook hands with and like met and introduced myself that I had to interact with there. Not only listen to the show, but like you could tell, you know how you can really tell when somebody listens to the show where they bring up something you talked about recently or something like that? These people were listeners of the show. I'm talking like 10 people that I met on Friday night, all of which listen to our show. So shout out to Smithville if you guys are listening today. It was great to meet you. Wonderful people. 
Glad that you're listening to our show, and it was awesome to meet you. Also, winner, um, college football in general, because here's what's about to happen. Now that Notre Dame beat Clemson, they're going to meet again in the ACC championship game coming up later. It's possible that we have an one-loss Clemson, a one-loss Notre Dame, an undefeated Ohio State, a a one-loss Florida, a one-loss Alabama, a one-loss Texas Mm A&M, a one-loss Oklahoma State. That is all entirely possible. And even if you eliminate three or four of those teams, you still have six teams to choose from, seven teams to choose from for four playoff spots. And then what the heck do you do with Baylor, or not Baylor, uh, excuse me, Cincinnati. I don't know where Baylor came from. Cincinnati and BYU and possibly Liberty or Coastal Carolina. The committee might have a huge mess on their hands in any conceivable scenario. Does that make them winners or losers? I think it's going to be awesome. I, I mean, every we week, chaos. if the games get played every weekend, we have real college football playoff implications. And think a few months ago, we're having this conversation today. It's going to be awesome. Drama everywhere. Meaningful games everywhere. And one lost teams everywhere, too. Hey, there, give me a winner. Well, we talked about him at the beginning, but how can we not go with the New Orleans Saints? And, and Drew Brees in particular, who's undergone a good bit of slander the past few weeks of people, oh, he's washed, but that Tom Brady's still kicking along. Really? We're still going to have that discussion? Who, who looks better now? Tom Brady with uh, three picks. Uh, last night, looked Ooh, incredibly big, sharp. Big, big sweeping, uh, sweeping conclusions after a single game. I hear you. Well, you know, that's two games. I feel uh, there were a lot of sweeping conclusions about the Saints after they lost to the Raiders uh, as well. The Saints look like they are uh, starting to fire on all cylinders. I expect them to make a nice little run here and secure their playoff position very, very soon. Last night was the worst loss in Tom Brady's career, 35 Ooh. points was the Mm -hmm. first time ever in a 20-year career that he was swept by a team in his own division. First time ever. And also, that was his third worst passer rating uh, in his career. All three Saints quarterbacks had higher passer ratings than him. I saw, I need to find the article, but somebody uh, wrote an article today that from an analytic standpoint, that was the most dominating win in NFL history. I need, mm. to go, I need to go. I want to. I want to read more about that, but it's interesting. That so is what even was in it, the, the list. largest halftime lead of any game in the NFL in like five years, something like that. Yeah, and it it could have been uglier. Could have been. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, here's a winner <laughs> for have. you. Here's a winner for you as we go to a break. In one week of really giving it almost no effort, Emily Haydad was better at picking games than her father. Who covers college football for a living? Three and one, and she picked state. Or <laughs> she was a winner. Her. Hey, Dad was not. Uh. We want your winners on the Ceasefire text line six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. Winners and losers—that's what we're looking for. College football as a whole. A big winner for Ian Book and Notre Dame. If you had Notre Dame plus the five, obviously you were a winner. If you had Notre Dame plus five, you probably screamed at the television when Ian Book decided not to protect the football and got it stripped as he was headed toward the end zone and fumbled it away. 
But nevertheless, just as a casual fan, what a football game that was on Saturday night. And just one more layer of winners. Mike Tirico calling anything is brilliant. He's just spectacular. He is as prepared as anyone. The moment is never too big. The calls are always just right. He is not, he doesn't try to make it about himself. He never gets hysterical. He's never, I mean, he, he documents what's going on, but he doesn't go too hard after the officials or a conference or what. He's just the absolute biggest pro there is. Mike Tarico's a winner. What else? I'm down for it. The Notre Dame Homer broadcast kind of cracked me up, though. It's like you're listening to their radio team on television. Tarico aside, like all the packages and stuff they do before the game and everything is very. Uh, Notre Dame is the greatest thing that's ever existed, and their opponents yeah. just there to get beat. It's like the Harlem Globetrotters, which, by the way, they're pretty darn good. Oh yeah, this year. Oh my gosh, yeah, and uh, the Harlem Globetrotters are always good. Yeah, you're right. If I were a Clemson fan, though, see, well, it's way too early. Things will change. I, I don't think Clemson right now would be somebody that I would pick to win the national championship. They've Not had with injuries. They've they got the issues some they've got on defense. Yeah. Because they're, of injury, I agree. They're bad in the secondary. I mean, Boston College Alabama's lit them up the last week. Lit them up. So, and I, I did see just a handful of people mention that Trevor Lawrence, you know, him being out, what a difference it made for Clemson. No, it didn't make any bit of a difference. DJ Uyunglele, I think, is a future number one overall pick himself. The kid's Ooh. unbelievable. Okay. Going up with uh, losers now? Yeah, that's fine. Jeff in Oxford goes with Notre Dame fans for rushing the field during a pandemic. Yeah. Well, I don't. Th- I don't think that makes them losers. I just think it, think it makes them excited. Well, here's the win. loser: the hypocrite blue check mark. The people that so I think that Notre Dame should, to some degree, be punished for storming the field. But before you guys get mad at me, hear me out. Um, players were still on the field at that time. That was a game that was played in part by a backup quarterback due to the starting quarterback, the future number one overall pick, having got COVID himself. These are guys, both teams, that have a national championship on the line that have to follow strict protocols, including getting tested all the time, almost daily. And if that derails anything, if that causes a spread between the teams, it's a selfish move and you should be punished for it. That being said... If you were one of those people that was okay with what went on in front of the White House or in a lot of major cities across the country, people gathered in mass to celebrate a presidential victory, then you're a hypocrite and a clown. Is the virus easily spread through crowds or not? Because if the answer is yes, you condemn the Notre Dame students for storming the field, and you also condemn the people gathered out in front of the White House right now. If you think one is okay and the other is not, you're a hypocrite. And there was a lot of that going on this weekend. Okay. I don't mean this political, but if you take it that way, it's you. It's on you. Hey, Dad, brace yourself. Uh-huh. I don't need you cutting into my football game to tell me who was declared a winner <laughs> of the presidency. All right. And I do I'll not care this. who the president is. 
Oh, Richard, it's news. It's big. Yeah, I know. That's what you get the ticker for. That's what you get the ticker for. Ticker, 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 ticker. I don't need a news break in the middle of the ball game that I'm watching. Let me watch the game. Let me watch the game. Don't don't need you to interrupt the game. Caused me to have to flip to a game that I wasn't watching at the time so that I could keep watching football on Saturday night instead of getting that breaking news. Ticker would have been just fine. Sorry. Carry on. Um, <laughs> here's one. Winner Chase Elliott for winning the NASCAR Cup championship. Steelers for surviving and giving Tom, uh, Mike Tomlin his 14th straight winning season. Loser Mike Leach for calling out his own fan base and being the next Houston nut. Oh. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah. Tim in Columbia reminds us that the presidential election is not over with yet. Yeah. Okay. That that's, wasn't the point. That's fine. Yeah, that was not the point. point was simply, I want to watch football. I don't get to do that very often. I get to watch it in person every week almost. Don't get to just sit back and watch games at my leisure. I was doing that on Saturday night. I get to Saturday. Don't need you to break in. Thank you. Leech is uh, as, as Houston nut, huh? I don't listen to your show, Brian. Other people tell me about it. Uh, <laughs> my freshmen. My freshmen are reading message boards behind paywalls. They're, they're eating six-pack. Uh, my loser is going to be the Georgia Bulldogs. Ooh. Uh, obviously, they have the balance of power has shifted in the East. We sort of thought it might uh, this this offseason when we were talking about Georgia's having trouble figuring out who the quarterback was going to be. But, of course, and we talked about this last week. At the end of the day, the quarterback of the Georgia Bulldogs should be Justin Fields right now, but it's not. And That's I know revisionist history. It is, but at the end of the, it, it, yeah. hindsight, having the benefit of that, it would have been the right decision. It wouldn't have been the easy decision. But it would have been the right decision to tell Jake Fromm, I'm sorry, but we're moving on with Justin Fields. Alabama did it. So did Clemson. Alabama did it. But there was no evidence that it was necessary or the right move at the time. Other than I, the you're fact taking that they all knew the information the you've got there. since then. Say what? There was no. Uh, I mean, of course, we have the benefit of hindsight because Trevor Lawrence won a no. national championship, but obviously yeah. Dabo knew that this kid was better than right. this other kid. With Kelly Bryant. And, and same with. Nick Saban changed quarterbacks in the middle of the national championship game. Yeah. I mean, you could have gone through the offseason and told Justin, told Jake Fromm, yeah, it's, it, we're going with Justin. And then you'd probably be the number one team in the nation undefeated and cruising As a to a true national freshman, title right now. Jake Fromm led Georgia to a defensive bust from winning the national championship and played better as a sophomore. As a true freshman, Jalen Hurts led uh, Alabama to the national championship game and was a defensive bust away from winning a national championship. Justin Fields did not look like Trevor Lawrence did his freshman year. I'm just saying that you're you taking the, the right information decision. that you have now and applying it to the decision that would have needed to have been made then, and that information yeah. was not there. I, I, I don't think that you could look at those two kids in practice and sit there and tell me that Justin Fields was not the better quarterback. That's a complete no supposition. You weren't there to see it. I don't. I don't have to have been there. I can just see what it looks like now. I can see what Justin Fields looked That's like as fine a high school now, player. But then versus, it didn't. It wasn't the easy decision. It was the right decision. And now, just and now, Georgia is 
not going to win a national title while Justin Fields is going to take Ohio State as far do, as they can do, go. Do you know what Justin Fields would look like in Georgia's offense right now? Well, I mean, I a see slight, where you're going a with A slightly that. better version of Jake Fromm. A slightly better version of Jake Fromm might have won a national title. Maybe. Maybe. Borky, you're giving me the side eye on that deal. You think Kirby Smart and Georgia were going to just cut him loose and he was going to have the numbers that he's got at Ohio State in Georgia's offense? Smart's got to, Smart needs to smarten up. He's got to figure out what Saban did, that you can't run that kind of offense and win national titles. They don't yeah. have the quarterback that can run that kind of offense. That's I mean, true are too. you really going to let Stetson Bennett throw 50 times a game? I'm feeling kind of justified on my Stetson Bennett takes from about a month ago, by the way. Well, it, yeah. because everybody was just a, a, a prisoner of the moment. There was a reason he started the season as a fourth-string walk-on. There was a reason for that. And he played nice against teams that they were better than. When we could have lined up at quarterback and not won, but wouldn't have been ugly. Okay. Any other uh, winners or losers from the weekend? Oh, I, I've got one based on a, a buddy of mine uh, who sent me a uh, he sent me this message on Friday, and then it turns out to be accurate as well. On Friday at five forty-two, my buddy sent me. We were talking about uh, Justin Herbert and the Chargers and just kind of that history. He said Chargers have lost thirty-eight one-score games since twenty fifteen. Sent me the message today. Chargers thirty-ninth loss by less than one touchdown. In five years. That's tough. Ooh. Ooh. That is hard to swallow. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming at supertalk.fm. We got plenty more to get to from a great college football weekend and the news hot and heavy for the start of a new college football week. We'll be right back. Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thank you for being with us on this Monday afternoon. Uh, An addendum to winners and losers, just uh, a guy that felt like a consummate winner is no longer with us. Over the weekend, I guess it was yesterday morning, it was announced that the great Alex Trebek passed away. He uh, lost his battle with cancer, dying yesterday morning in his home in Los Angeles at the age of 80 after more than 18 months fighting valiantly uh, pancreatic cancer. Um, there were a number of people that, as you would expect, paid tribute to him. A couple of Alex Trebek's great moments as they relate to sports. Did you know Alex Trebek? As the play-by-play hockey announcer. So this is, I, I must have worded that. This isn't him doing play-by-play. This is him running highlights for Canadian okay. broadcasting in 1967. Okay. So this is pulled from a highlight package he did. Studio anchor. Here we go. Nice music. The Chicago Blackhawks, the National Hockey League champions for the first time since joining the league 41 years ago, meet the Toronto Maple Leafs in a semi-final series. The Hawks are overwhelming favorites with a strong offense, led by Bobby Hull, who has just completed a 52-goal season, and Stan Makita, the first player ever to win three major individual awards in one year. 
The Leafs, backed by the spectacular goaltending of Terry Sawchuk, a 37-year-old scarred veteran of 17 seasons, start to win games on Chicago ice, something they failed to do all year. Toronto, a team that suffered a 10-game losing streak during the regular season, are home to playoff perfection by coach Punch Imlac and King Clancy. Certainly an unmistakable voice there and music that you can't get out of your head when it is all said and done. Uh, So that we thought was good back then? Yes, yes. That was, uh, I guess, the 80s version, or maybe even earlier than that, of Canadian Sports Center. Pretty much, yeah. Give or take. And then... One of the legit laugh-out-loud moments for sports fans, who many of which watch Jeopardy from time to time and are frustrated and only wait for when a sports category finally pops up. Those are not necessarily the people who normally succeed as contestants on Jeopardy, as evidenced by this. Uh, Football 200. Your choice, do or don't name this play in which the quarterback runs the ball and can choose to pitch it to another back. It's an option play. Ryan? <laughs> uh, football, 400. I can tell you guys are big football fans. <laughs> Tom Landry perfected the shotgun formation with this team. Oh, my gosh. Dallas Cowboys. Uh, you think we should go to commercial? <laughs> Ryan? Take it on to 600. Okay, by signaling for one of these, a returner can reel in a kick without fear of getting tackled. Fair catch. Two clues left, Ryan. 800. These penalties are simultaneous violations by the offense and defense that cancel each other out. And they are called offsetting penalties. Let's look at the $1,000 clue, just for the fun of it. (laughs) As Minneapolis' U.S. Bank Stadium prepares to host Super Bowl 52, I'm looking at the Ring of Honor with names from this defensive line that took the Vikings to four Super Bowls. If you guys ring in and get this one, I will die. (laughs) Who are the purple people? Eaters. We're going to take a break. I have to talk to them. Alex Trebek, the one and only. That's good stuff. I know you hate Mount Rushmore's, but that's got to be—he's got to be on the Mount Rushmore of game show hosts, right? My good friend Glenn Waddle sends me a message. Says all of the names in the Alex Trebek hockey clip are in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Wow. Oh yeah. How about that? That's pretty cool. Very cool. Hey, Dad, would you have gone five for five in the football category? I would have, yes. You would have gotten the purple people eaters, correct? Absolutely. Well done. Could could have been the fearsome foursome or the steel curtain or the doomsday defense, however you wanted to do them. I could have gotten all of them. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, you want to be part of the show, you can do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. King Biscuit says, Alex sounds really good doing that but I'm on the edge of my seat waiting for the question. (laughs) Almost appropriate that Alex Trebek and Sean Connery died within a week of each other. Hashtag SNL Celebrity Jeopardy. I thought about that. (laughs) I saw an interview that he did kind of recently about Celebrity Jeopardy, and he loved it, of course, because... 
what he, he was, is. He was just a cool guy from the he, he he didn't take himself too seriously, and sometimes that's a problem for people in this world. He 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 was he was just cool. Is Alex Trebek the most famous game show host in game show history? I had this discussion over the weekend. I say no to that. I think Bob Barker is the answer. Oh, okay. Is Pat Sajak third? Yes. Like I said, I know you don't like the Rushmores, but for us, for we came up with uh, Barker, Trebek, Sajak, and Richard Dawson was our our Mount Rushmore of game show hosts. Hmm. What did Richard Dawson do? Well, he did Family Feud. That's the that's the main one. Yeah, but there it was more than just that, though, wasn't there? Oh, I'm sure. He was on like Match Game, some other stuff like that. Bob Eubanks could make an appearance here. I wouldn't get too upset. Who owns the twenty five thousand dollar pyramid? Dick Clark. Dick Clark but did. I, I don't count Dick Clark as a as a game show host. Yeah. Um, you got Mark Summers from Double Dare anywhere in there? <laughs> You can you can make a case. Did you know that Alex Trebek also hosted Double Dare at one point? Now that I didn't know. Um, Chuck Woolery. Eh, is the Love Connection really a game show? Is it called Love Connection? Yeah, that wasn't the newlywed game. No, that's Bob Eubanks. Yeah. No, it's not the same thing. Love Connection was like a dating show. Okay. Bob Eubanks was newlywed game. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have that uh, little window, like in your childhood, where game shows were such a big deal and you could watch oh. Press Your Luck and Hollywood Star or uh, Hollywood Squares in the afternoon? So we, I stayed with my grandmother for, for when, during the summer, and... Uh, yeah, we had twenty five thousand dollar period, twenty five thousand dollar pyramid. Pressure luck, uh, Price is Right. Watch the news, and then it was it was time for Mamma to watch her stories. After that, <laughs> all my children at noon, followed by One oh. Life to Live, followed by no, General no, no. Hospital. She was Mamaw that ABC was a, girl. Mamma was an NBC woman. Days of Our Lives in Another World. Ooh. And what was it that was on CBS? It was uh, Young and the Restless and... Yeah, one Life to Live? Is that one? No, One Life to Live was on ABC. Was it? Okay. It was after. It was All My Children, then One Life to Live, then General Hospital on ABC. Noon, and then one, and then two. I don't know what was on CBS beyond uh, The Bold and the Beautiful. Good call. I think you're right. I think it was Young and Restless and Bold and Beautiful on uh, on CBS. There you go. Uh, Bob Barker hosted The Price is Right from 1972 until 2007. Alex Trebek hosted Jeopardy for 36 years from 1984 until his death yesterday. Yeah. Barker went back on The Price is Right like a couple of weeks ago. Who was? They had, they had him, Bob Barker, they had him back on The Price is Right. It was incredible. He's As still a guest sharp, host? Too. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he did the show. It was unbelievable. Was Drew Carey there at all? I don't, from what I, I've only seen like the highlights. I don't think Drew Carey did the show. Hmm. I think I've mentioned this before. So my, our good friend, David DeLucci, his wife, Rachel, Rachel Reynolds is 
one of the models on the Price is Right, and she is the longest tenured model in Price yeah. is Right history. Oh, I've got multiple people. Uh, I don't guess I'll call you out by name that have sent me messages that said, as the world turns on CBS yeah. is the one that we missed. Just in one part of my childhood. Yeah. Talk about you. like some diehard like tribalism. Try getting a, a, a an as the world turns fan. Just like, well, why don't we just give Days of Our Lives a chance? No, no, no. I mean, that's like trying to get you know Days of Our Lives fans to switch over to uh, all it's, my children it, or one life to live. You you might have a better chance converting a state fan to be a rebel than to get somebody to change their soap operas. Yeah, it, it really is funny. I mean, it really is because it, it, because those, those hey, were harsh. What you relayed is the exact same thing that I remember. Mm-hmm. Being at my grandmother's house, it was twelve to one, one to two, two to three, and she yeah. didn't just like lock in and watch them, you know, from beginning to end. But she knew what was going on with all my children and with one life to live. Less so with General Hospital. I mean, going three solid hours every day was a bit much, but it well, it stayed on. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. I'm sure somebody out there was saying, would you guys get back to sports? And that's exactly what we are going to do, but I must share this with you. I wish that you could see the C Spire text line. So I've got it set up on my computer screen. It's a Google Voice account thing, and it just allows the messages to stream through. That's the reason, frankly, that we miss messages sometimes. But I can scroll back to about four, let's see, where was the first one? When I when I finished talking about, we finished talking about Alex Trebek, it was at 4.40, roughly. I bet we got 100 messages between 4.40 and 4.47 talking about the order of the shows on the different networks, Favorite game show hosts, connections to their grandparents, watching soap operas, other references to game show hosts with ties to Mississippi, including uh, Wink, right? Yeah. Wink, Wink, Martindale, is that right? No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wink uh-huh. Martindale. Somebody says, I knew Richard Cross would definitely know the soap opera lineup. <laughs> Yeah, but but here's the thing, and, and I was just texting a, a friend of mine who was sharing something about, you know, his mother watching soap operas, and he's older than I am, and I said, that conversation took me back to my grandparents' house in Coffeyville, Mississippi. Yeah. On Tillatoba Road, and I remember, I mean, knew every square millimeter of that house. I can see the big attic fan in the hallway. I can see the TV room. I can see the red barn-style shed out back and the burn pile. And I say burn pile. They, Hey, Dad, I don't know if you remember this from when you were a kid. Did, did your grandparents, did they live in town or were they out in the country just a bit? Lived out in town. Okay. So... My grandparents were out in the country. This was before the trash man ran. They had a burn barrel out back. Yeah. And so it is. You, you would pull the glass out, and then everything else went into the burn barrel, 
And then every few days they would burn it out back. I mean, that was that was how you got rid of the, the trash. Um, you know, cotton field behind their house. Oh, what great memories. Yeah. Just could, absolutely spectacular memories. I could take you through a whole, my whole itinerary of a day at Memaw's house. Mm-hmm. From getting there to what we watched on TV to eating lunch to what we watched on TV. And then at 3, that was the time for Brian to go to Memaw's bedroom and watch TV so that I could watch Mask and G.I. Joe and Transformers <laughs> and the Thundercats and everything else till my mom got off work to come pick me up. So, yeah, I could tell you that whole day. Yeah. Richard and Wiggins just sent me something. I don't know I don't know if he knows exactly what I'm talking about or not. He says truck stop buffet. And I don't know if he's talking about a different truck stop, but the truck stop at the Tillatoba Road exit on I-55 is where we used to go on Sunday night after church for dinner. Oh wow. It was like 12 miles from their house, but that was like, you know, Anyway, and somebody mentions Lawrence Welk as well. I always watch that on Saturday night. I was never a fan. I always kind of get stuck watching that. All right, let's move on. Big day in terms of news in the sports world. Mississippi State is not playing Auburn this Saturday because of COVID positives and quarantine-related issues. Mississippi State's game with Auburn has been pushed to December the 12th which means Mississippi State now on the schedule has two games post-Egg Bowl. They will play Missouri on the first Saturday of the month of December, December 5th, and then we'll turn around and play on December 12th against Auburn. Kentucky has multiple coaches, apparently. I'm not sure if that's exact. I think that's the report. Mark Stoops has said they have issues related to COVID, but not an outbreak, and they hope it stays that way. LSU reportedly has issues with COVID-19. Additionally, if they do play, Miles Brennan once again is expected not to start, and Ed Ogeron alluded to the fact today that he might have surgery and could be done for the year. Remember I predicted that. That he was going to have surgery? No, I said that I didn't think he'd finish the season as their starting quarterback. But yeah, but you couldn't have known that it was going to be from an injury. You thought it was I, going to be because of performance. He's a small dude, man. Not, maybe not built for the, the, the grind. Yeah. Is a torn muscle in his abdomen? That's got to be a painful, painful Ugh. injury. Ed said that he tried to practice last Wednesday. It did not go particularly well. They shut him down for the rest of the week, and we're trying to bring him back today to see what he was able to do. Um... Texas A&M having some COVID issues, though not to the level of having to plan to postpone at this point. It is apparently all over the place right now. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Five o'clock hour, that means the college football fix is coming up next. With you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thank you for being with us on this Monday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Want double the data for the same dang price? Well, all prepaid by C Spire plans get double the high speed data through the end of the year. No bull. 
Just better wireless. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid. The C Spire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. On Wednesday, November 18th, Super Talk Mississippi will be live at the Grammy Museum in Cleveland, Mississippi, during the JT Show, which will be guest-hosted by Steve Azar and Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Highlighting downtown Cleveland's 50 Nights of Lights holiday light extravaganza and all of the great things to do in Cleveland. We spent some time at the uh, Grammy Museum Mississippi uh, a couple of years back and had uh, just absolutely blown away with how incredibly impressive uh that facility is. If you've never made the visit to uh, Cleveland to go to the Grammy Museum, certainly encourage you to uh, do so and be sure to catch the uh, JT show on November 18th. Guest hosted that day by Steve Azar, and then uh, Good Things with Rebecca Turner will be there as well. It is spectacular. Borky, that's the day that uh, that Maggie Rose sang for us on the air. Yeah, that was pretty cool. She was so good. and Almost her career as good just... as you, but, you know, pretty pretty good. No, no, no. She said, pull me through that day. Oh, great song. Great song. Uh, All right, time right now for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough, you don't want to miss out. F-150, best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years. So, again, if you missed it earlier, then uh, now is certainly the uh, time to play catch-up. Sam Pittman, the head coach at Arkansas, has tested positive for COVID. He will be out this week. Barry Odom will serve as the interim head coach for the Razorbacks in the Absence of uh, Coach Yes, sir. What a job Sam Pittman has done. Yeah, we haven't in talked year about number that one yet. at Arkansas. No, we're going to get to that in just a second. Texas A&M and Kentucky are both dealing with COVID issues, though nothing at this point is described as an outbreak. And Mississippi State's game with Auburn has been postponed to December 12th because of COVID issues at Mississippi State. Brian told us earlier today that um, Mississippi State was right on the verge of not being able to play because of the scholarship player threshold going into the game on Saturday against Vanderbilt. And then after subsequent testing on Sunday and the results coming back, it has been determined that they will not be able to go this coming Saturday against Auburn. And, hey, Dad, you, uh, you said that kind of started unfolding yesterday. Yeah, you started to hear, you know, I noticed on Saturday that they were, they only dressed you know, seven, eight linemen, and I knew that the, the threshold was seven. But then when you find out just how many, how few guys they had available to them on Saturday, you realize that, man, if a couple more tests go the way you don't want them to, or even if you have a couple of injuries or something, you're going to be below that threshold. So that's where Mississippi State is, and they'll have a weekend off. All right, so we talked earlier today about Mississippi State's win against Vanderbilt. We'll probably spend a little bit more time about uh, on that in this uh, this 5 o'clock hour. Uh, also got a question about the Saints, and I thought it was kind of a fascinating one, although I don't know that it's really a possibility. Uh, we'll circle back to whether or not Taysom Hill being on the roster 
has the potential to prolong Drew Brees' career? Just a quick thought. At any, do you think there's anything at this point that can prolong Drew Brees' career? Um, I don't think. I so. mean, it's not like it's not like Taysom Hill is taking carries away from Drew Brees. I mean, those aren't those would be different plays. So I mean, maybe yeah. you're taking a hit or two away here, but no, I, I don't think so. Drew Brees is, is 41 years old. His time is running out, regardless of who else is on the roster. How about Skinny Jameis last night, though? I mean, good for him. Everybody makes. They fun should have of let him, him throw it in the end zone one time. They should have, but I mean, he deserves a little bit of a, a little bit of credit for taking it seriously. Now, I mean, he's lost a bunch of weight. Apparently, he's working really hard. He's staying out of trouble. So, so good on him. I still can't believe it took to this age for him to get LASIK. But hey, you know, after you throw thirty interceptions, you make some internal changes. But physically, he looks better than he has in a long time. So does he not squint anymore? Apparently not, because he didn't squint last night. And and let's discuss, we talked about this a minute ago, about Trebek being self-aware and not being able to laugh at yourself. <laughs> Jameis Winston coming up to the camera and eating the W was fantastic. He gets it. It was dumb. Let me make fun of myself a little bit. Loved it. Outcomes from over the weekend. The Florida Gators, clearly the best team in the SEC Eastern Division. They went 44-28 over Georgia despite trailing 14 to nothing. This game was 14 apiece at the end of the first quarter, and it was 38-21 at halftime. Florida did almost nothing in the second half. It's amazing what taking Kyle Pitts off of that team, off of the field, can do to an offense. That they really didn't have to do hit. anything. Nasty, nasty hit. nasty hit. But like you said, it was 14-14. It was 14 nothing Georgia in the right. first four minutes of the game. Yep. And then it was just all Florida from there. Kyle Trask goes 30 of 43 for 474 yards and four touchdowns. He is the first quarterback in the history of the Southeastern Conference to have four touchdown passes or more in five consecutive games. Thought that Georgia do defense some... was supposed to be good. Yeah. yeah, Georgia defense is banged up right now. They are. Um, when Didn't we do Borky some stupid hot take thing back at the beginning of the year where I had some ridiculous take on Trask not throwing a bunch of touchdown passes? I thought it was. Or did the I go the other I way? thought you said he was going to lead the SEC in touchdown passes, and that was met with some criticism because of the air raid situation. Yeah, you might you might be right on that. Okay. Yeah, I, I think was, you were I, on the other end. I think you were very high on Kyle Trask. And you, okay. And you should have been. I'm, what, I know this is kind of hot takey since we're doing that today. When do we start talking about Kirby Smart in a different context than the return to glory thing? I mean, this is a really bad season for book writers, but now especially, <laughs> what has he done to, to warrant anything other than comparisons to Mark Rick? He's defensive Mark Richt. Because people pretend like Mark Richt was bad at Georgia. He wasn't. He was great. He wasn't elite, but he was great there. And they won a lot of games, and they were consistently very good, but just couldn't do the thing, you know, the next thing. Georgia, under Kirby Smart, I'm aware they won an SEC championship, so this makes what I'm about to say kind of silly. They seem to fold in big games, the biggest games. No, you're right. You're right. You're right, they do fold in those games. And yeah, he won an SEC title, but Richt won a couple of those. So, I mean, that's not, you know, the only difference between Richt and Smart is Smart actually got to a national championship game. 
That is literally the only difference right now. Yeah. Yeah, but he didn't. You're right. And and here we are. True so, yeah, there, there, there's, there's a lot of truth in what Borky is saying right there. Kyle Trask has been absolutely spectacular. Um, Kendarius Tony's been good, although he didn't have a massive day. Kyle Pitts only two catches, but didn't play in the second half of that game. Florida was really, really, really good, and some idiot named Richard picked Georgia to cover the spread as three-point favorites. Yeah, do you want to revisit those picks? I think this would be a really good week for us to do that. Yeah. Not not three weeks ago. No, that was a bad week, but I think this one, this is a pretty good. You're talking about the week in which we combined to go 10-2? and two? Well, mostly uh Just the fact that you went 4-0? Oh? Yeah, and a few weeks ago I did not, but... Yeah, yeah. That's uh yeah, we'll we'll do that in a bit. I promise. Uh standings tightening up just a bit. Borky made up a game this week and he's now just uh three back, I think, overall. Yeah, but Finally you guys are in trouble. 500. The Emily juggernaut is coming. She is picking <laughs> for me the rest of the way out. I will not pick again. Texas A and M absolutely destroyed South Carolina on Saturday night in Columbia. They've yeah, quit. Let's talk- Let's talk about Borky saying that Ole Miss is going to get run over by South Carolina. That's not happening. Borky's looking confused. He has a deer in the headlights look. I think South Carolina will be able to run the football against Ole Miss, but I don't know if the the Didn't you say that you thought that they they had a a beating coming Saturday night? No. Coming Ole Miss? Well, that what you said last week? I must have misunderstood you then. I was like... I remember looking at my at the screen going, is he really saying South Carolina's gonna rout Ole Miss? Okay. Oh no. I, I don't remember hearing that. I, I would love to to catch the audio if that was the case, because uh we're certainly not above throwing something back in one or the other of our faces on well, a uh, on a wrong take. Well, it's what that's what we're supposed to do. That's how it works. Kellen Mond was sixteen to twenty six for two twenty four and four touchdowns. Isaiah Spiller ran it for 131. Texas A&M as a team had 264 yards on the ground, and they now have an open quarterback competition. We got a message earlier today from someone claiming to be our resident Arkansas fan. So no. at least two. I mean, Hallman has kind of laid one. claim to that, hasn't he? Yeah, that he is the resident one. Anybody else is... is Kind of an interloper. By the way, the, we, we welcome as many Arkansas fans and Alabama fans and LSU fans and Auburn fans and Purdue fans and whatnot, all points in between. Uh, you, you are, everyone is welcome. Just everyone not Oregon is welcome. Say what? Just not Oregon State. Why? I don't know. I just picked a random team. They have a turnover chainsaw they can come to. You're right. Never mind. They're in. And they have the smallest guy in college football. Have you seen this dude? I, I it's His name is escaping me. Wait, I missed me. the turnover chainsaw. They have a turnover chainsaw. That's, a, that's a thing of beauty. It's awesome. But, yeah, they've got this guy. He's a kick returner, does some stuff on offense. I think they list him at 5'5", 140. Who? And he might not even be 5'5", 140, but he can scoot. I forget his name though. Think, it's killing think me. He's smaller than Tylen Knight. Tylen Knight's a little, little thicker, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's smaller. So we're talking Trendon Holloway. Yeah, 
Yeah. Territory? Oh, wow. great, great reference, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I remember that time uh, they played uh, Penn State in a bowl game, and the field was soaking wet, and he went to cut, and his foot sunk into the ground so much, it almost touched his knee. Jeez. Uh, I think I got cut off because I didn't shut up in time before the uh, break was coming a second ago. So, Muschamp mentioned today that they were kind of going open quarterback competition. Three deep. All right, I got something for you here. And Champ Flemings is his name, by the way. Sorry, Champ Flemings at Oregon State. Five foot five, 140 pounds. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, you may remember from years gone by me saying that I thought John Chavis was the most overrated defensive coordinator in college football. And I know that he had his glory days at the University of Tennessee back with Leonard Little and company. And, man, they were good. And he had some good defenses at LSU. They trended down at the end. He had great players, but they were soft as warm apple pie at Texas A&M, and they weren't worth a flip at Arkansas. And I just thought that John Chavis was incredibly overrated later in his career. Now it's time for the offensive version of Chief. And it's Mike Bobo. Yeah, I'm going to get on this train with you. Yes, It is Mike Bobo. All I heard at the beginning of this season is what a great addition to the staff at South Carolina Mike Bobo was to Will Muschamp's staff. And I don't think I ever really went out on a limb and was like, wait, what? But, But that was my internal reaction was, what? Mike Bobo is a great addition to your staff. This is going to be the offensive innovator in South Carolina that is going to catapult this offense into a level that we've never seen before? We're talking about the same Mike Bobo that ran a slow-it-down pro-style underachieving offense at Georgia, rolled that into the head coaching job at Colorado State where he ran that once-proud program completely into the ground, and now it's taking the South Carolina offense, and they scored three points. Three against Texas A&M. And it was a sad three in the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly. And has coached that offense to a loss against Tennessee, a loss against Florida, a win over a hapless Vanderbilt team, a win over Auburn inexplicably, I can explain it. J.C. Horn. That's, You're right. that's how. He was great. It wasn't he Mike was Robo. It was J.C. Horn. A loss to a terrible LSU team. And then scoring three against a pretty darn good Texas A&M. And it's not just that they scored three. These were the offensive numbers for South Carolina. Three quarterbacks combined to go 12 of 28 for 100 yards. 25 offensive carries for a combined 50 yards. With a South good Carolina, back, too. I'm sorry, what? With a good back. Like, those are numbers with a guy that I think is a pretty good running back. And Kevin Harris that. had 13 carries for 39 yards. South Carolina ran 53 offensive plays for 150 yards. You just thought it looked rough and, and starkful. Mm. 
I will say this, though. Jim Chaney belongs in this discussion as well. Okay. Because he's sort of the same thing. They got him at Tennessee. They're like, this is the guy who's the difference maker. Really? Uh, No. No. And Tennessee, I still don't understand what happened to the team that went into the locker room up on Georgia and came back out and now can't beat anybody. And got embarrassed. If you're, by the way, if you're a Mississippi State fan and you're like, we could have had Jeremy Pruitt, you're, you're okay now. You can let that one go. It's over. Tennessee led 13 to nothing against Arkansas in Fayetteville but at then. the half. At the half. But then they took a 15 minute break and two different teams came out for the second half. An Arkansas team came out that scored 24 points. In the third quarter, and walked off with a 24-13 win and a 3-3 three and three record on the year. Should be 4-2. They should be 4-2. Alas, they are not. Felipe Franks, pretty good. Not great. Pretty good. 18-24, 215, and three touchdowns. Not bad. Tennessee got an early first quarter field goal, an early second quarter touchdown, a late second quarter field goal. And then Arkansas went 17 plays, 75 yards for a touchdown to get on the board. That's how they started the second half. And then they went three plays in 67 yards in a minute to take the lead. And then two plays in 81 yards in 29 seconds to extend the lead and then kicked a field goal with seven seconds remaining in the third quarter to go up 24-13, and the scoring was done. Arkansas rolled up 413 yards of offense. And I tell you what, Arkansas is putting every possible fan they can in that stadium right now. Those Arkansas fans are excited, and with good reason. Every reason to be, yeah. 16,500 Inside 76,000-seat Donald W. Reynolds Razorback Stadium. Just really impressive. Good coaching, players playing hard, good plan, good adjustments. Nothing Arkansas was doing in the first half worked. Nothing. So what they do? They went in there, they turned a few knobs, flipped a couple of levers, made a couple of changes... And did the exact same thing in the second half. Oh, wait, no. They changed it? You can can do that? Huh. You learn something new every day. If you're reading between the lines at home, (laughs) Derek and Greenwood, wasn't Franks a decent player at Florida? He was a good player at Florida. Good player at Florida. Got injured, lost his job to Kyle Trask. I'm going to say this probably worked out best for both of them. Franks wasn't going to get that job back. Trask has proven he deserved to be the starter at Florida. And Franks has gotten new life in a new spot and has played pretty well for Arkansas. Hogman sends a message. He says, wow, Hogman had started listening to Trump lawyers. Glad I turned you all back on. (laughs) We're glad to have you back, Hogman. In terms of overrated coaches, somebody says add Bo Pelini to the mix. $2.3 million a year worth. 
Josh and Laurel says, isn't Mike Leach one of the few head coaches in college to not play college football? Probably. Wouldn't if he, if think there are that many. Yeah. I don't think that's a prerequisite to be a coach. No, it's not. That's like saying you can't comment on games if you didn't play them. That's an overrated idea. He's a bright guy. He's had a wildly successful career at multiple stops. I don't know if it's going to work in Starkville long-term or not. I don't know. And I do think there are people that are starting to ask that question. But look, I mean, there's no option but to wait and see. Because that's what's going to happen. Mike Leach is going to get time to try and instill his offense with his people at Mississippi State. There is good news here. I'm not even being flippant when I say this. It really can't get worse. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Big if here. If the Patriots were to lose to the New York Jets tonight, it would mark their fifth straight loss, which has not happened in New England since 1995 when Bill Belichick was coaching in Cleveland. It's been a while. Probably not going to happen tonight either. No, that would be very surprising. There is um, there is not a lot of optimism among the Associated Press college basketball voters for what we are going to see this year in the Southeastern Conference. Preseason AP Top 25 is out. Number one team in the land is Gonzaga with 28 first-place votes. They edge out Baylor with 24 first-place votes. Villanova 3, Virginia 4, Iowa 5. It's a slightly different-looking poll than we get during football season. Rounding out the top 10, Kansas, Wisconsin, Illinois, Duke, and at number 10, Kentucky. Shocking that they are the highest-ranked team from the SEC. There's only one other Southeastern Conference team that is in the preseason top 25. That is Tennessee at number 12. Others receiving votes, LSU would be 26, Florida would be 28, Alabama would be 29, handful of votes for Auburn, and that's it. Is LSU eligible for the poll? I thought, well, I guess they're not there yet. What, on probation? Yeah. No, they are not there yet. But it's coming. We, uh, yeah, I'm think. pretty, I'm for some reason pretty confident that that's going to happen. Matt sends us a message. He said, Leach is doing all he can considering he came into a program built for another coach. Everyone has to understand it takes time to build a football program. Love your show. Thanks, Matt. I mean, so what Very about true. Sam Pittman? What about Lane Kiffin? What about, I mean, other coaches, and it's not even about wins and losses. It's just, it's two hundred and four yards of offense against Vanderbilt. 
that that is beyond just hey, it's a new program and we've got it's going to take some time to get you know winning. I get that, but yeah, two hundred four yards of offense last week. Ole Miss or two weeks ago, whatever it was, Ole Miss put fifty four on the board against them. Yeah, that's that's not acceptable. That's yeah. something that's got to change. That it's not an excuse. That that argument of well, it takes time. One is is very valid, and it applies when you're talking about the Alabama game. Nobody in their right mind expected Mississippi State to compete with Alabama this season. It, it's just it would it would not have been a practical ask for Mike Leach and Mississippi State to compete with Alabama this year. Texas A and M's a college football playoff contender. You can excuse that game as well. It's a more talented team than Mississippi State. That, that's They are more talented almost everywhere. You can't apply that to Vanderbilt. A historically bad, going 0-10, hapless Vanderbilt, where you would look at their roster and trade for maybe one or two guys from your own. That's when that defense kind of flies out the window. And they won the game, which matters, but it took five turnovers, one of which was an interception. Great play by Errol Thompson. One of which was an interception in your own end zone to beat Vanderbilt. That's when it turns from year one, growing pains, doesn't have his guys, to, all right, what the heck's going on here? Correct. King Biscuit says, We all know Mike Leach does not coach to his talent like other coaches. He coaches his way, and he's never done anything different. If you don't know that, you either have had or do have your head in the sand. Yeah, and we do get a text about the offensive line. You can't run an offense when five cannot block Vanderbilt's three. Right. Occasionally, Vanderbilt would bring four. And, I mean, you saw how that went. That's the biggest, I mean, circle it, underline it, cross it, highlight it, shine a bright light on it. There's your problem. Mississippi State needs to, and they will, I'm sure, be active in the transfer portal because there will be more good players available in the portal this year than ever before. But by that same token, Michael, this offensive line, I mean, they didn't have Charles Cross and Dollar Bill Johnson on uh, on Saturday, but they have had them previously. Cross was the number two offensive lineman in the country coming out of high school. Dollar Bill was a four-star guy. Island and Parker have started a ton of games. Cole Smith transferred to Mississippi State from LSU, so obviously he was at some point in his career considered a talented player. You've got some guys there. They should not be this bad. Here's my question in all of this. We, we've, we've heard from air raid coaches, now two of them in the state of Mississippi. And both of them have explained installation and explanation of the offense in much the same way. It really doesn't take long to install. Get the whole thing installed, and then we'll start fine-tuning. Phil Longo, when he came to Ole Miss, what did he say? Got it installed the first week, second week, started fine-tuning it. And obviously that offense had issues. He also had some pretty impressive weapons. Didn't use them the way they should have been used. That offense should have been better. Mike Leach told us when we talked to him that the installation process is not that complicated. They got it put in pretty quickly. 
And yeah, it takes some time to adjust, but these things can't all be true. It can't be that it's that simple of an offense and can be installed that quickly and is that understandable and be that unproductive. Am, am I crazy? I'm not, I'm not trying to play gotcha at all, I, but I don't understand. Right. No, I, I'm with you 100%. I mean, and it's, also, it's throwing and catching that, and blocking. I also understand that what LSU did defensively and what other teams are doing defensively are completely different. But you going from 623 yards, an all-time single-game record in the SEC, to 200 yards of offense... It makes no sense. Against Vanderbilt. That's a Against bad Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt defense. And I understand that both teams were strapped by, by roster you know, problems on Saturday, but they were close to equal. I mean, both teams were about around the, the, the minimum you had to have. And, and Vanderbilt doubled you up offensively. Not good. And it's a Vanderbilt defense... That gave up. What was it the week before? What was it four twelve and six touchdowns, and then what? Another couple hundred on the ground. And you started the game off. You scored on your first two drives. And it looks like things are going. Then Vanderbilt makes a couple of adjustments, and and that that's the end of the game for you offensively, basically. Against Ole Miss, Vanderbilt gave up six hundred forty-one yards. 641 yards, and Ole Miss basically shut it down at the end of the third quarter. Look at the South Carolina game. That will be a a tough pill to swallow there, what Vanderbilt did against South Carolina. I got a buddy that's a high school coach. He he said, my offense includes a ton of air raid concepts. I've been saying for months it'll take several years for them to really get this right. The most critical element is the quarterback and receivers, and their understanding of route conversions and coverages is critical. Those guys aren't very good yet at Mississippi State. See, that's more than fair. That makes sense. But then explain Vanderbilt. I mean, that—that's the the thing here is Lane Kiffin and Kendall Bryles running these just these systems that are just so much easier to grasp than the air raid. That that's what I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around. Is that applies to the Texas A&M game? Heck, that applies to the Kentucky game. Kentucky's got some dudes on defense now. They do. They got some players there. The other side of the ball, different story, but they've got guys on defense. But it shouldn't be like that against this Vanderbilt team. They're horrendous. Historically bad. The roster was the worst in the SEC by a long shot before they had a bunch of COVID opt-outs preseason and then a bunch of guys get out with COVID during the season. That's what's having a hard time grasping with that idea is Brad says we're making this too complicated. You can't install anything with a bad offensive line. And that might be the the golden answer right there. How do you people are mad that they don't throw the ball deep? Well how can you? But they shouldn't be as bad as they are is the problem. 
Yeah. And Brad follows it up. He says, how, how many times has the Ole Miss quarterback gotten Ole Miss out of trouble with his legs? With a bad offensive line, you have to have that, and State has zero escapability the quarterback position. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.